You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking all things pre-harvest. Our South Australian-based Southern Extension agronomist, Chris Davey, joins us to give us the rundown on what growers need to be thinking about before harvest kicks off. And we're also going to be catching up with Grow Advocate, Virginia Tech Associate Professor and Extension Weed Science Specialist, Michael Flesner. And he's going to talk to us about the new partnership between WeedSmart and Grow. And if you're not familiar with what Grow is, it does stand for Getting Rid of Weeds. And it's a publicly led network coordinating research and outreach in the US. And they provide science-based info and decision support tools to make agriculture more sustainable and precise. And we'll get into those interviews in a minute, but my co-host Peter Newman does join me. How are you, Pete? Yeah, I'm great, Jess. How are you? I'm good. A very busy time of year, so it's a good uh, time to be talking about some pre-harvest tips. How are things going in your region? Yeah, Jess, harvest is just starting. Uh, we are hoping for roughly average yields, if there is such a thing uh, in our part of the world, where I'm based in Geraldton here, but a little bit too early for me to tell yet, Jess. So hopefully by the time we have a podcast in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to give people a bit of an update. But yeah, harvest is, is underway here and yeah, really exciting. I've been speaking to the companies that are selling the seed impact mills. They've sold a lot. So there's a lot of new um, mills out there this harvest. So Really looking forward to getting out on some headers and seeing how they go. How about yeah, yourself? That'll be very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not much has been going on for me, but I am going into the field next week, which is exciting. So I'm going to just be doing some filming with our comms officer, Shannon Barrett, of Michelle Owen. She does the survey work for Ari. So we'll be catching up with her uh, on the road and uh, doing some filming and seeing how she collects those weed seed samples for uh, resistance testing. So that'll be really interesting. But yes. yeah, that's a, that's a big job. Every five years, she and the team get out there and visit about 500 paddocks, I think, and sample lots of weed seeds. So yeah, this is yeah. the, the five-year anniversary, so That's a big job right. for me, sure. And we'll mm. just be there for a little snapshot of it, but, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to capture some footage for people to be able to see what that process entails. So I'm looking forward to getting out in the field. That'll be nice, especially because we've sort of been trapped a bit with COVID and then obviously my operation, I've not been able to do much. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, let's get into the podcast, Pete. Now, up first, we're going to be hearing from Michael Flesner from Grow. Now, they came over, the Grow team, they came over to Australia last December and you got to catch up with them when they were in Western Australia, Pete. Can you tell us a little bit about how that all went? Yeah, Michael Walsh brought them out. Jess, really great effort by Michael. He organises these massive tours. They'd been to the east and I caught up with them in the Western Australian wheat belt. We put on some absolutely stinking hot weather for them. It was so hot uh, when they were here, but obviously they didn't complain. They're from agriculture as well. Great group of people, Jess. I really enjoyed spending time with them and they were just blown away by everything they saw in Western Australia. All of these harvest weed seed control tools that we talk about, you know, and they hear about at conferences and so on. They just, everywhere they went, they saw them and they heard people talking about them. So that that particular trip was largely about harvest weed seed control. But, yeah, this team, they focus on all aspects of weed control and, yeah, really enjoyed spending time with them. 
Yeah, it's very exciting that the US is really taking on board the harvest we see control tactics that uh, have been adopted in Australia. And Michael, in this interview that we're going to play for you in a moment, does go into a little bit of detail about that. Let's take a listen. In this interview, we're catching up with GROW advocate, Virginia Tech Associate Professor and Extension Weed Science Specialist, Michael Flesner, about the new partnership between WeedSmart and GROW. So if you're not familiar, GROW stands for Getting Rid of Weeds and it's a publicly-led network coordinating research and outreach, providing science-based information and decision support tools to make agriculture more sustainable and precise. Michael does join us. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit more about Grow and its role? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's really a, a pleasure to be on. So I think Grow at its core is just a, a team. Uh, we're all public sector researchers and extension specialists, really just united around a shared goal of addressing herbicide resistance and, and trying to better weed management, primarily through you know, diversification of our tactics as well as integration of, of multiple tactics. But GROW is, I think, pretty similar to Weed Smart in a lot of respects. You know, I think our, our core values are really overlapping and really consistent. So Yeah, definitely. And we were lucky enough pre-COVID to meet you guys, GROW did visit Australia in December last year. And I'll ask you about that a bit in a moment. But I just wanted to ask you, Michael, what actually prompted the partnership with Weed Smart? Sure. So I think Lisa Mayer, actually, who leads Weed Smart, really reached out to us first. And, you know, I think part of what formed Grow was recognition that a, a clear, unified voice was stronger than, than us as individuals and, and better. And so uh, when, when Weed Smart reached out to us and, and, and we were, you know, were aware of what you guys were doing, and really, in a lot of ways, we've tried to emulate the success that, that you've had. It was just a, a way to add another uh, partner to that voice. And so uh, that's, that's really kind of where it came from. Um, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense when you look at agriculture, right? It's, it's really a global thing. We have uh, commodities are traded globally, the agrochemical companies, equipment manufacturers, um, they're, they're all multinational, right? So I think it makes sense for us on the outreach side to try to do the same. And this is maybe a small first step towards that, right? We're not probably nearly as big as some of these other uh, companies and commodities, but I think it, it's, it's a step in that direction and it, and it makes sense. And so because like I said, our values and, and mission really overlap so much, it just, it just makes so much sense. So, and so we mentioned just before that you guys did come over and visit Australia and that was really exciting to be able to talk with you all and get to know you a little bit in person. Uh, what was the most important message that you took from that trip back to the US? Yeah, that was a great memories and really a trip of a lifetime. And I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Michael Walsh uh, for, for really being instrumental in planning and coordinating that trip. And it was it was a really great time. And, and so I'm glad you guys enjoy, enjoyed having us. And we appreciate it. But yeah, certainly, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody that was on the trip, but we did have a lot of time to, while we were riding around in the bus together, to talk about it and then digest it since we've been yeah. back. And you know, a huge thing for us was the shift in mentality, right? The shift in management and mindset from a reactive approach to weed management uh, to a proactive one was certainly a, a huge uh, take-home message there. Another thing was just the harvest weed seed control. You know, we, we only visited certain farmers 
but riding through the countryside, it wasn't hard to see, you know, a row of chaff dumps or the, the chaff lines through a field. And so you could just see the adoption of, of harvest weed seed control. And so to me, when you have that scale of adoption, it just, it not only indicates that it's working, but it's economically feasible for the growers, which is certainly a huge part of it, right? It's got to be profitable. So that was, that was a big take home for me as well. Well, that's great to hear. And Michael, can you just paint a bit of a picture? I know our listeners, we have spoken about this on the podcast before, but can you just give us a bit of an idea of what US growers are doing at the moment in terms of weed control? Yeah, so uh, from from my point of view, we're still primarily a herbicide-centric approach. We're doing some things that contribute to weed management, maybe not with the explicit, you know, thought of weed management, like, like narrow row spacing and soybeans are helping us out, but we may not, we may be doing that for other reasons. But so, so we're primarily a, a herbicide-centric approach right now. And I think you can see that probably most clearly with the adoption of the Extend technology in the last uh, few years. So the Extend soybeans allow us to use, it's a GMO trait that allows us to use dicamba in uh, soybeans. And then uh, the Extend Flex cotton allows dicamba in, in cotton. And so there's been big successes there in terms of weed control. Uh, Dicamba has done well there, but there's also been all these off-target issues and sort of drama surrounding that. And so this past year, we've actually seen uh, some instances of dicamba resistance in uh, Palmer amaranth, which is one of our major uh, driver weeds and problematic weeds in the U.S. And and there's also been some discussion, I don't think real hard conclusions yet as far as the science goes, but some discussion that mixing dicamba and glyphosate together has reduced the grass control with uh, glyphosate. So I think those, those kind of things just highlight the need for diversification and integration uh, of other tactics there. So, so that's, that's kind of, I think, a, a sort of a case study of where we are. We have certain things like cover crops for weed management, which maybe your listeners are, are aware, but I'll, I'll try to cover it real quick. It's just, yeah. in, in our, we're lucky enough to have the moisture is a big thing, but also uh, enough heat to after our, our cash crop, we can in the fall heading into winter plant a uh, cover crop, typically that's cereal rye for us. And that can grow and have enough biomass before we terminate and plant the next cash crop that following spring uh, to just act as a mulch layer and suppress those weeds. And so that I think is kind of moving from the fringe to, to maybe more center stage. And so certainly we haven't seen like the uh, adoption of the extend technology like we have with cover crops, but that's, I think that's gaining traction over the last several years. I wouldn't say we're, we're losing the fight. I think, I think we're a lot of acres are, are doing very well and we have herbicide options pre-emergence in soybeans uh, and our, our packages are pretty still robust in corn. But to me, the, the writing's on the wall that we definitely need to integrate things like, like harvest weed seed control. And so certainly we want to make sure it's going to work on our cropping systems before we you know give a full endorsement of that. But, yeah, um, but that's, I think those, those types of ideas are what we need more adoption of. Yeah, so speaking specifically about harvest weed seed control technology in the US, Michael, where would you see this technology fitting best? So we're really optimistic. I I think basically any crop that's harvested with a a grain 
header, well, we call it a header. You, you would call it a front. Any crops that's harvested with the, that grain table front would be certainly one that we can easily adopt, right? Because that's where it's worked in Australia. Yeah. So uh, wheat obviously would be one of our crops and, and barley. Soybean is the big one, right? We've got 90 million acres roughly of soybean in the U.S. every year. I'm not sure what that is in hectares, but it's a lot of soybeans. And so, yeah. and that's, and that's one where we have a lot of herbicide resistance issues. And probably I think where we're closest to having that, that meltdown of, of just lack of herbicide options in right now. So uh, soybean we think has huge potential. And then there's, there's rice as well. And, and in Virginia or uh, my state, we don't grow rice, but uh, certainly rice has its herbicide resistance issues. And so I think at least for soybean, you know, we've really done our homework and looked at are the weed seeds being retained on these weed seeds at harvest time? And, and overwhelmingly, the, the answer is yes. There's been some work by grow researchers and others that, you know, are these impact mills going to kill these tiny little palm amaranth and common water hemp seeds that are, I mean, they're about the size of a, a ballpoint pen tip. And the answer there has been yes. And so we really feel like it's got tremendous potential and, and are excited about the future with it. But we do have some maybe hurdles or just sort of things we need to clear first before we see if it's going to work. You know, one of those is is our soybean harvest is generally, we still have moisture, right? We still have rains. And so the moisture content coming into the combine is a lot higher. And that's sounded like potentially could plug up a mill or at least run up the horsepower requirement of that mill. And so that's something we want to look at. And we also have a few crops in our rotation that aren't harvested with that grain front, right? So corn's the big one. A corn header, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but basically the corn stalk gets rolled down out of the header, pushed right. towards the ground, and the cob breaks off of it in the process of that. And then that's what really comes into the combine. And so in turn, a lot of the weeds also just shoot down out. The seeds would shatter and a lot of those are going to fall out of the front of the combine and not make it into it. So if it's, the seeds aren't coming out the back, right, they're not going to get processed by a mill or any of the other harvest weed seed control techniques. Um, and so so it's, it's just looking at, you know, in a rotation with, with soybean maybe every other year, is that going to work, right? Yeah. Uh, the other crop would be cotton, you know, and then the, the cotton picker kind of works entirely different, but sort of the same problem as corn is that the weed seeds aren't really coming into the front of the machine, so there's not a way to deal with them on the back of the machine. But like I said, I think we, with, with the Australians and what you guys have, have seen is that, that it works uh, well on, the, on large acres. And so while I have concerns, I, I think the, uh, the optimism and, and the potential for this vastly outweighs that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess as well in Australia, I'm sure it's the same in the States. There can be a lot of grassroots solutions to some of these hurdles. So the fact that it's being put out there and there's focus on the mill technology now, I'm sure that there will be some solutions in the future that, that pop up because of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know just for corn, there's like some brushes that kind of go on top of the gathering chain that are commercially available. And so those could potentially be looked at for, for weed seeds. So yeah, I think there's, there's definitely where there's a will, there's a way. And 
Absolutely. I agree. I think we'll see some, maybe some solutions for those. So. so you mentioned that Grow is looking at research and the efficacy of these weed seed impact meals. Can you just talk to, to that a little bit and just give a bit of detail about what meals you're going to be using for this research and, and how many? Sure. So, so Grow started with uh, USDA, so the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, within that has an agriculture research service. And so there's some area-wide funds there, which are really took tackle large-scale problems. And so they identified herbicide resistance, uh, rightfully so, as one of those. And so that's sort of the initial funding source that got the team together, right? Got grow together. And we bought a couple of toe-behind HSDs at the time, which went to a couple of locations. And then we and we did a lot of the seed retention work at Harvest with, with that funding. And so that has just ran out. But we've got another uh, a USDA, a different part of USDA that the Natural Resource Conservation Service has on-farm conservation innovation grants. And so we're, we're actually luckily just found out about a month ago that we landed uh, one of those. And so what, what we propose to them and then what we're going to do is buy several of these mills. And I think we got to kind of work out some of all the funding and stuff like that, but, yeah. I, but I think we'll have about 15 mills thereabouts. Right that we're going to you know, scatter strategically across uh, the U.S. Uh, with, with the different uh, researchers in the GROW network. And so I, I think about uh, eight or nine of those are going to be the Redicop seed control units, and then the, and maybe about seven of those uh, will be the DeBruin, uh, you know, the IHSD units. We didn't really mean to leave Seed Terminator out. I think we were just trying to get the grant in, uh, you know, meet the deadline, and, yeah. and didn't have time to establish that connection. So we're we're, we're kind of doubling back now, and 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 want to reach, and we're reaching out to to Seed Terminator to get in on that. So, well, hopefully, we'll have kind of you know the big three that are out there. Uh, we're you know we're aware of the Tech Farms uh, Weed Hog, but. You know, we'll sort of see where that one goes too, I guess. But yeah, but but I, I guess I'm not, I'm real excited that, you know, Redicop and the Bruin are willing to, to partner with this and hopefully Seed Terminator will too. But I think the big thing is is with this grant is it puts them, these go to farmers, right? So we're going to put these with a farmer and do our research collaboratively using their machines. And so in doing that, it really kind of leverages, you know, that on-farm, we'll have a farmer in these locations who can host field days and bring neighbors in uh, and share their perspective on, on the mills. And so that's what I think is really cool about this grant. And what I'm really excited about is it's just, it really, it's, it's really farmer, farmer driven. So, but I think, you know, having, I, I, I kind of think that 15 units is, is that's a lot of mills out there. And so we'll be able to really, I think, put a big shot in the arm for adoption of this technology in the U.S. with this with this effort. So I think it's really exciting, and I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, it's very exciting. I just wanted to ask you one final question, and we've kind of covered it a little bit. I think we have painted a bit of a picture of the shift in how weed control has changed over time in the U.S. But in Australia, we have seen a big shift and and harvest weed seed technology like the weed seed impact mills and even other tactics like chaff lining have become more popular over recent years. What have you seen over the last few years in terms of a shift in the way growers are approaching weed control? Yeah, I, I guess we did kind of cover that maybe, I, but certainly I, I think you see the, you know, the willingness to adopt to the new uh, GMO traits as they, they come on. That's That's been the big shift, but I guess maybe just more looking forward, you know, I think the I guess what I would broadly call precision weed management 
uh, is going to be part of that way forward, right? So these technologies we're seeing about weed identification, uh, weed mapping, spot spraying with drones, you know, they're not really being adopted yet. But certainly, I think there's there's no question that in the next five years, we're going to see see those come into play. And it's just it's real exciting times. I know you guys have, have on this podcast have had a lot of those uh, yeah. gone into details with that. And, and I think we'll see that in the U.S. too. So it's, it's exciting times. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. There is a, just a slight time difference, so I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us about this partnership. I think it's really helpful to hear from you and how the US is tackling we control as well. It's great to be able to collaborate and, and partner with Grow. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we're really excited about the partnership and, and some of the ideas we've had and tossed around is, is real exciting for the future. So, yeah. Thanks for having us on and, you know, I just encourage everyone to look at growiwm.org or follow us on Twitter at Get Rid of Weeds. Thank you so much to Michael Flesner from Grow there. Really great overview of what Grow is and why we're partnering with them with Weed Smart. Pete, it is really exciting. We did talk about harvest weed seed control and how that's becoming more popular now in the US. They are doing research in that space and seeing where that would fit into farming systems over there. What are your thoughts on this development, Pete? Yeah, well, there's that old saying, Jess, that everything's bigger in the US mm-hmm. and um, their projects are the same. They have a big project. I think they can buy 15 of the meals, Jess, yep. put them on farmers, harvesters, and then go and work with those farmers and try and, you know, work out some of the you know, the pros and cons and some of the challenges and some of the benefits. I, I just sounds so fantastic. What a great way to run a project on harvest weed seed control in their country. I, I wish them well. Yeah, definitely. Did anything else strike you about that interview that you wanted to comment on, Pete? Well, yeah, he talked about how they are quite herbicide-focused in the US and my dealings with the US, and I went there for a conference and so on, which was great a few years ago in in Denver, and I talked to a lot of their uh, agronomists and researchers, and they they do have a big herbicide focus, but one of the things I learned from them is what they do is they overlap their lay-by herbicides, so they overlap their residual herbicides. So they might put down one herbicide now that lasts for a month and then two weeks later put down another herbicide, which also lasts for a month, if you like. And so they're overlaying these residual herbicides. And while it is herbicide-focused, it's been very effective, Jess. And so I think there are things that we can learn from them as well in how they've tackled herbicide resistance with herbicides. And they are obviously learning some stuff from us about tackling herbicide resistance with non-herbicide tools like harvest weed seed control. So, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that we can learn a lot from them in the process of uh, teaming up Weed Smart and Grow. Yeah, the sharing of knowledge will be really beneficial, I think. So, yeah, watch this space. Now, Pete, moving on to our next topic, we're going to be focusing on pre-harvest planning. Now, for some growers, harvest might just be about to start or they've just started, but it is important to have a think about what you're going to be doing and planning for, not just for now and in coming into harvest, but for next year as well. Pete, why is it so important to take stock and plan at this time of year? Yeah, well, Jess, a long time ago, weed control was all about spraying a knockdown and then spraying some herbicides in crop, and then that was your weed control. You shut the gate, all done and dusted. Whereas now with resistant weeds and the challenges that we face, we have all these other times of the year where we need to intervene, and harvest is obviously one of those. 
And so it is a time for planning, it's a time for resistance testing, and people might have cropped up their crops as well. So it's this other time of the year that once upon a time wasn't about weed control, and now it is, Jess, and so Chris gives us a good wrap-up of all of that. All right, let's take a listen. In this interview, our South Australian-based Southern Extension agronomist Chris Davey joins us to give us a rundown on what growers need to be thinking about before harvest kicks off. So for some of you, harvest might have already started, but we're hoping that what we cover in this chat will be helpful for uh, everyone out there. So Chris does join us now. How are you going, Chris? Yeah, very well, thanks, Jess. Keeping extremely busy, and I guess it's just that time of year in the lead-up to harvest. Uh, and we've also experienced some quite significant rains in early October. So that's added an extra layer of paddock work. Yeah, it's a really busy time of year. And obviously some growers are still preparing for harvest. Some might have already started. But what do growers generally overall need to be thinking about at this time of year, Chris? I guess if I'd refine that to obviously a uh, focus on weeds, Jess, I think numbers five and six in the Weed Smart Big Six uh, are what I'll focus on, and that is predominantly stopping seed set. So, what we're thinking about is what paddocks can potentially be windrowed, desiccating legumes when they're ready. Uh, we've started uh, crop topping barley here locally, and for the later areas, uh, you know, we've finished with the baling season, but you know, in those later areas, there is the potential to still bale up bad or weedy infestations of you know, wheat and barley and the likes. Yeah, plenty in in that space happening. And I guess number six is the uh, the holy grail, as we call it, with the harvest weed seed management. So prior to harvest, I guess in that aspect you're really making sure that everything's ready to go. So repairs and maintenance are done uh, and, yeah, you, you know, you can really maximise or optimise the performance uh, of the header at harvest. And harvest time, also a great time to be looking at organising resistance testing so that you know what's going to work for you next year. What are your tips in this regard for growers? I can only encourage guys to get their weeds tested. And again, that ranges from ryegrass to radish. But we're finding we're doing more testing on Indian hedge mustard, brome grass, barley grass, even milk thistle. So there's a, a range or spectrum of weeds now that are becoming resistant. And as my uh, saying goes about better the devil you know by resistance testing Jess you're actually finding out what chemicals are going to work and, and what uh, they're resistant to so informed decisions uh, can be made there so farmers looking to do that my take-home message would really be to, to plan ahead resistance testing can be proactive or reactive uh, proactive is going out in front of harvest making sure that your seed is mature and you want to test or sample before desiccating and crop topping because paraquats and glyphosate render a lot of weeds sterile or, or useless for uh, resistance testing. So, yeah, getting on the front foot, working out what paddocks or what areas need to be tested or what I call reactive testing is if the header operator uh, comes across a, a bad area in a paddock they can potentially lift up the comb and reap a lot higher or go over that patch and then 
come in and test it uh, either after harvest or during harvest. Yeah, great tips. And we've also talked about the importance of seed cleaning on the podcast before, but I thought it's definitely worth a follow-up, uh, especially at this time of year. Why should growers be looking carefully at cleaning their seed? Why should that be on their to-do list? I guess one of the simple things, and I, I actually can put my hand up because I had a client or two that ran out of seed, went and got some uncleaned seed and used that this season. And they found, so not from a weed perspective, but just from a cleanliness, that they were having a lot of cedar blockages from chaff and bits of the beard and things, you know, being in the sample. So logistically, like having a, a nice clean sample does aid next year at seeding. In terms of weeds, though, it's, it's far more important. We've just touched on resistant weeds, Jess, and... If we find that we do have uh, resistant weeds and we're not cleaning our, our seed after harvest or in preparation for 2021 seeding, we're literally seeding those resistant weeds as well. There's also transporting weed seeds around. So it could be paddock to paddock within a, a farm or if you've got a new farm or you've got seed from outside of your farm, you don't want to introduce uh, problematic weeds into your own farm or into new paddocks that have previously been cleaned that weed. So it, it is a consideration uh, and a very easy way to uh, upfront stop the amount of weeds or resistant weeds being sown the following year. Definitely. And obviously late season weed assessment is an important thing to be considering doing as well. What should growers be doing in this regard? Yeah, it's, it's something uh, which I've done a lot of, particularly this week, being able to get out and, and do some paddocks. Number one, I guess, is make time to assess the paddocks and that leads straight on to being able to formulate a plan for harvest. So when I say that, uh, it, it could be, yes, we need to windrow that crop of barley, not only to uh, prevent head loss or lodging and things, but maybe to, to get the weeds and, and stop weed seed set there uh, versus a cleaner paddock, or we've touched on crop topping uh, already. And, you know, things like looking at the actual crop timing or the moisture in terms of crop topping. So... It can be assessing the weed or barley and seeing how far away it is, being able to crop, looking at the ryegrass or, or other weed stage. And I guess locally and in parts of uh, Victoria as well, there have been some recent uh, significant rains and we've had a lot of areas that were previously moisture stressed or even we thought were going to die out in the crop and they've reshot again. So crop topping with glyphosate does even the maturity up uh, of those paddocks and allows you to evenly uh, harvest them rather than uh, waiting for the whole paddock to be be ripe. Yeah. I guess agronomically there's also a, a saving of moisture for 2021, so leaving that moisture that's in the soil there uh, as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, assessing the paddocks, like you're looking at the crop topping and windrowing timings, looking at what weed populations you do have and what stages they're at as well. 
Okay, makes sense, Chris. Now, like we said, it is a busy time at the moment, but planning for next year now can definitely help put things in motion, in particular when it comes to a plan around crop choices. What sort of decisions should growers be thinking about now for next year, Chris? I think it always starts uh, before you look forward to actually look back, Jess, and when I say that, have a, have a review session with your members of your farming system and maybe have a look back at what worked and, and what didn't work. So lessons learned from 2020. So with that, then you can then, I guess, uh, put those things that have worked, uh, plan on them for the following year uh, and maybe learn from what hasn't worked and uh, if, if it's possible, uh, avoid those things uh, next year. So I always start with a, a review session and then we, we start planning forward. So I guess we're looking at uh, things like are residual chemicals going to be a problem uh, and therefore do we need a more tolerant crop to that chemical? So the, the IMI tolerance is a, a classic and that can be simply just a, a varietal choice or it may be changing the whole crop altogether. Uh, crop competition definitely comes into it. If there's a choice between a, a competitive variety and a, a less competitive one and you do want to get crop competition with weeds, uh, I'd advise choosing the, the competitive one so that you do get what I'll call a, a free reduction in, in weeds just simply due to the aggressive vigour of a crop. I guess also... We're looking at some new chemistry coming through. So things like Reflex, Overwatch, uh, Ultra in the pre-emergent herbicides. So from, a, I guess, a retail perspective, it would be advisable to be planning for those because they'll be limited in uh, supply for 2021. So forward thinking to what paddocks, it might be appropriate to, to look at those. And also there's new varieties of seeds uh, and crop coming on board. So planning, I guess, two years in front in that because uh, in a lot of instances, you're only starting with half a tonne or a tonne or two tonne of a new variety. Uh, so you're, you're looking to that second year when you will have enough to do whole paddocks or many paddocks. So there are some of the things that I look at with my clients and come straight to mind when thinking uh, towards next year. Yeah, no, great tips, Chris. And I think we have covered a lot of ground. There is a lot of things to think about this time of year. And yeah, like you said, it's so busy, but hopefully that is helpful for growers. I think it will be just going through those things that you need to be thinking about and making a bit of a checklist, I suppose. Before we wrap things up, Chris, is there anything else that you wanted to mention on this topic? I think for a lot of people, crop topping, Jess, is, is something that is a little bit new and maybe a little bit different and particularly when when using uh, glyphosates there is more and more glyphosate resistance out there in paddocks across the nation but i would still look at this year across a lot of australia with these late october rains there exists an opportunity to actually control those late germinations or, or ones that have reshot again so Despite the fact there is a bit of resistance out there, if we're still able to take out 90, 95, 99% of those weeds, uh, it's going to stand us in good stead for 2021. So that would definitely be uh, something I'd encourage all growers to be looking at where applicable. But also, I think I mentioned the word plan several times during our podcast. And 
You did. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's really important. I think you know planning on which paddocks are going to have what type of management either prior to harvest and at harvest, uh, let alone sitting down and thinking uh, of of next year. Uh, and there are farmers out there that may only have a harvest mill on one out of their headers, and so that that's an obvious one that they'll be diverting that particular header into the dirtier weed paddocks uh, so they can do a job at, at harvest. So plan ahead, guys, and, yeah, I wish them all the best for harvest. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for sharing that wealth of knowledge with us. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, I know that uh, you're so busy at the moment as well, so we really appreciate you taking the time to provide those tips. Thanks very much. No worries at all, Jess. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris Davey. They're talking about pre-harvest tips and what you need to be thinking about. Now, Pete, there is a lot of things that we covered there, but what would be the ones that you would think are most important to maybe focus on? Well, we talk a lot about harvest weed seed control, Jess, so I'll leave that one alone. Probably a couple of things that jumped out at me. One, obviously, resistance testing. It is that opportunity to get out there and get some samples. We've heard a lot from East Coast growers with big problems with glyphosate this year and uh, some testing done there. But, uh, you know, it'd be a great time to go and test some more fields going into harvest and, and see if you have a, a new problem. But also, Chris uh, alluded to competitive cultivars. Now, harvest is actually the time of year when we are choosing next year's seed. And so really good time to look from the harvester and have a look at what's staring you in the face. Are some varieties more competitive than others and therefore there are less weeds in crop and then how does that fit into your planning for next year so yeah farmers will be will be staring at these crops for hours on end Jess but that crop competition with weeds is probably something I'd encourage them to have a good look at and see how that fits into their variety selection great tip Pete well that's both of our interviews for today so thank you again to our guests our Weed Smart Southern Extension agronomist Chris Davey and Grow Advocate Associate Professor Michael Flesner we really appreciate them coming on the podcast now don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and also sign up for our monthly blog the Weed Smart Web Ground so you never miss any of our content we've actually got quite a few new things up on the Weed Smart website again because our content producer Cindy Benjamin has been smashing it out the park with putting up new content hasn't you pete there's lots of stuff oh yeah i've seen you put some great posts up some great farmers from my part of the world jess and also um yeah some from that we met in weed smart week at horsham last year so yeah really good case studies and really good farmer experience that she's pulled out there yeah definitely so sam and emily eagle from victoria she did a blog post on them and that one looks at livestock containment areas and then yeah like you said pete two case studies from your part of the world one on andrew and dina kenny who farm in bajangara in wa West Midlands and they're using an integrated program of crop rotation, mobile ploughing, grazing and chaff lining to keep their weed numbers low. And then the second one is on Matt Freeman and he farms an aggregation of cropping properties at Mullawa and Walkaway in the Geraldton Port Zone of WA. I'll put the links with those with the podcast notes so you can go and check out that new content. Don't forget to tune into the regional update next Monday. We'll be hearing from Dolby-based economist Belinda Chase. And lastly, we'd love for you to share the Weed Smart podcast with your friends. Just let them know about it. They can download it on their podcast app of choice. And, yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for joining me, Pete. Thanks, Jess.